Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. If you're in sales, you've heard of Miller Hyman, and you've probably heard of Alice Hyman, the daughter of Stephen Hyman, who helped her father's business, but then ventured out on her own over 20 years ago. Today, Alice is the founder and chief sales energizer of her own firm, guiding and coaching CEOs and sales leaders to develop winning strategies to drive revenue growth. Alice is also a well-known speaker, advisor, and college instructor, but she's also a huge advocate and supporter of giving back to the community and to helping elevate other women professionals. I am absolutely thrilled to share her story, her insights, and her expertise in this episode of the Revenue Engine Podcast. Please take a listen to this all-around powerhouse with a big smile and an even bigger heart. So super excited to be here today with Alice Hyman, the founder and chief sales energizer of her own firm, Alice Hyman LLC, which she founded almost 24 years ago. Um, Alice is a longtime leader and expert in the sales world as a strategist, a speaker, a coach, an advisor, and an instructor. So welcome, Alice, and thank you so much for joining me. I am super excited to learn about your journey and really learn from you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, and I love listening to your podcast, and I like that you always share some interesting things Uh, about people and get them to tell their story. So this should be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about your backstory and really your career journey, which led you to founding your own company, I believe back in 1997. So can you share more sort of about your career journey? I can. And it's an interesting path. Uh, Probably like most people that are in sales, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to go into sales, right? So when I went to college, I was actually an art major, and then I became um, a teacher. But the the reason I switched from art to teaching is because I was doing art and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, how am I going to make a living being an artist? (laughs) And I thought, that's going to be hard. So I went into uh, special education, and I did spend 13 years in the public schools as a special educator. I got a master's degree, which gave me a reading credential. So I was a reading specialist. And during that time, uh, because I'm an entrepreneur and it's just like in my blood, I can't help myself, right? I had started up a bunch of nonprofits and a for-profit, which was a small uh, resource center for parents and teachers to help them help their children learn to read. And so I had written a business plan and start got it funded and started a business knowing nothing at all about business, never having taken a business course. It was just the entrepreneur <laughs> in me making an idea I had work. So that was kind of my first foray into the business world and, and um, 
you know, really having to sell <laughs> never, you know, again, never having thought, oh, I'm going to go into sales, right? I just didn't think of it like most business owners. But um, as many out there know, uh, my father is Steve Hyman, who co-founded Miller Hyman with Bob Miller. And as you can imagine, when your parents own a company, and some of you may have been in that situation, uh, they ask you to do things to help their company. <laughs> and so I got dragged into some fun projects and uh, helping my dad, um, especially in the years after um, he had separated the, the business from Bob Miller, and they were you know, moving forward with some different projects. So I, I helped quite a bit uh, with some fun things. And then eventually my dad talked me into coming to work for him full time. So I worked with Miller Hyman for only three years though. People think I was there a long, long time. And I was part-time there for a long, long time doing projects and such. But I worked for Miller Hyman for three full years, helping get the curriculum updated and get the business ready to sell. And they did have a successful exit, which was amazing, wonderful to watch the whole process. But knowing that, that was, you know, back in, uh, in the late nineties, I knew that that business was going to be owned by someone else and I needed to do my own thing. So I left, uh, just a year before they actually completed the sale and started the company that I have now, where I have the great pleasure of working with some of the most amazing CEOs of all time. So that's how I kind of got where I am today. I, uh, I had a, a windy path, but it was a fun <laughs> one. And everything that I did along the way really prepared me for what I do now today. That's amazing. That is an amazing story. Um, is, well, even be found, I guess even after founding your own company, right, you've still been active in teaching, right, and still in speaking and advising in a number of different um, capacities. Yeah. So can you share maybe more about some of your other endeavors that you're involved in? Absolutely. So I do still teach. So, you know, of course, I taught children before. And then in the eight years before I left teaching, I taught graduate level courses for teachers to teach them how to really prepare excellent curriculum for their students. And that was a lot of fun. I also uh, currently teach at the college level. I teach sales in the entrepreneurship minor at the University of Nevada. Now, seven years ago, our College of Business didn't have an entrepreneurship minor. But a couple of friends of mine, uh, one who teaches up there and one who is a, um, a venture firm, uh, came to me and said, we want to start an entrepreneurship minor. Can you help us? <laughs> and so together with a few other folks, we actually did start that minor at the University of Nevada. And it's going strong. And I've been teaching in that minor, which again is so much fun because I get to work with students who want to be entrepreneurs. They want to start their own business. And what I get to teach them is, Hey, you better get good at sales if you want to have your own <laughs> business. And so they love it. And they, you know, I've been doing it for years and still those students come back to me today and talk to me and tell me what they're doing. And, you know, I help them with different various things. So it's really, um, a fun thing that I get to do. I'm very passionate about it. So that's uh, been an interesting part of my career as well. And then I, like most people, you know, do a lot of things in my community to help. Um, one of the most fun things I did was help build a 68,000 square foot uh, hands-on children's science museum called the Nevada Discovery Museum. 
Oh, I love that. And now I rarely share that. I don't know why, but I guess because it really just doesn't have much to do with my other business. But I was uh, one of the founding members. I was on the board for eight years and I helped with the strategy for raising the capital. We raised $20 million in the worst economy of all time. We started in 2007 (laughs) and seven years later, uh, well, no, wait, it, it was, let's see, seven. Yeah. Well, Oh my gosh, I'm so confused. But anyway, it took us seven total years to build the museum and open the doors. I think we opened in 2011. So it took us a while, but um, we raised the money and we have the most beautiful place. So if you want to take a look at our beautiful museum, it's uh, Nevada, the Nevada Discovery Museum. It's nvdm.org. I'm very proud of that because it was a lot of work and we had a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, I can go there anytime I want. I can bring my grandkids there, my friends' kids there. I bring <laughs> grownups there. We have we have events for grownups, in fact. And uh, we have one called The Chemistry of the Cocktail. So you can imagine how much fun that is. <laughs> yeah, definitely have to check that out. That's amazing. I didn't know that story. That is amazing. Yeah, so that was, you know, really, it's really fun to now see, you know, as the museum is 10 years old, how it's flourishing. And, you know, it was tough, of course, during COVID, just like for everyone else. But we have so many great um, donors that just help us get through that time. And um, so we now have kids visiting again. We did have to close for a short time, but it's really just an honor to have been a part of it and to watch it continue to grow and thrive. That's great. That's great. Wow. That's really wonderful. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about sales, right? You've had the opportunity, as you said, w- working with many CEOs and revenue leaders to really help build world-class sales organizations. So what are some of the things that you see CEOs really do right when it comes to building and developing their sales teams? And what do you see them do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that CEOs often don't really recognize how much of sales is their, I want to say maybe responsibility, but even further than that, like it's got to be so much part of their vision and their strategy. And of course they have the numbers in mind and how big they want their company to grow. Of course they have that piece, but how sales really happens at their company Uh, they sometimes tend to leave to others. So, you know, marketing, you go generate leads for sales and sales, you go call on our customers and take care of that. And then I'll watch the finance of the company and interface with our stakeholders, our investors, our shareholders, what, depending on if they're public or private and watch over the operations. Right. So I think that some sales leader, uh, some, sorry, I think that some CEOs need to look at sales a little bit differently than they do today. Um, I'll tell you that uh, recently I read, I knew it was a small number, but recently I read that only 8% of CEOs have a sales background. Oh. So if you think about that, right, only 8%, that's not very many. That means all the rest of the CEOs came from somewhere else. They came from mm-hmm finance, legal, uh, um, ops, 
They came from some other department. And that means that they may not really know very much about sales. And in fact, many of the CEOs I talk to sort of look at sales as something that is, I don't know, maybe a little undesirable in terms of not that we don't want to get more sales, but like the sales department and all oh, those sales people and what do they do <laughs> anyway? And, uh, you know, not really understanding, right? So I think that um, <laughs> CEOs today especially need to really have the perspective of the customer in mind and how their company is going to engage with the customer and in doing that, look at what is needed. How do the sales teams and the marketing teams interact? How do the customer success teams interact? How does operations and accounting interact, not just with each other internally, but externally with the customer in every moment that they get to engage. Mm -hmm. And when we start to, as CEOs, look at that perspective, we start to look at sales, especially in a different way. For example, sales is not just about sellers talking to customers. Sales is about how the customer wants to buy from us. Mm -hmm. And the Gartner research tells us that almost 50% of business to business decision makers, you know, who are buying something would like a seller free experience. Mm. So if we are only looking from the perspective that sales is about the salespeople that meet with the buyers, we're missing a big chunk of the people who want to consume what we sell. You want to purchase that without a seller because we're not providing then them the opportunities via the internet to interact with our products and services, to gather the information they need, to watch videos, to get information, to talk to references, you know, by using case studies and things like that, we're not providing them with a buying experience that they desperately want. Got it. Got it. Um, so how does your company really work with these executives to sort of turn their teams into these winning sales organizations? Well, it's really fun and uh, it's exciting for me to do it. And what we do basically is get the strategy right. So working with a CEO is critical. There are many amazing, wonderful organizations out there that provide training and coaching and sales tools, right? There's just so many. You and I, we were talking about that earlier, how many people we know in the sales world <laughs> who provide wonderful products and services that companies really need. And that's great. The problem is, if the CEO is not on board with all of this, it's difficult to get the budget and the support to purchase all of those wonderful, amazing products and services, yes. right? All that technology, all the coaching and all the great things that are out there. So when I go in to talk with a CEO, the first thing I want to understand is what is the vision that that CEO has for the company? Mm -hmm. Where are they going? What is the exit strategy? Is it, I'm going to just 
work until I retire and another CEO will come in? Is it, I'm going to sell this company in five years? Are there investors involved who want to flip it? Are they going to merge? Are they going to do acquisitions? Are they going to leave it to the next generation of their family, right? I need to know these things. So I understand their vision for the company and their exit strategy. Then the market that they really should be in Maybe the market they are in currently is right. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's a bigger market, a different market. And really understand then all of that so that we can set a strategy that is going to move them the direction they want to move. Now, if you go in at the VP level, the VP of sales level, or even you know, chief sales officer, chief revenue officer, um, chief marketing officer, and you get all those people aligned, that's fine. But still, the CEO is the one who will say yes or no, mm-hmm. and who will grant the budgets to make these changes. And the CEO is the one who will lead the change, right? They'll, you know, provide that new vision. They'll help the company move forward. They're the ones who are going to power that vision so that everyone can follow it. So they have to be aligned with it. If you can get that strategy built with them and then get all of the C-level people aligned, not just the go-to-market team, Mm -hmm. but the ops team and the finance team, because Again, it's not about the salespeople. It's about the customer and how they want to buy. And if you make it about the salespeople, then ops thinks they have nothing to do with it and finance thinks they have nothing to do with it and whatever (laughs) other departments you may have, manufacturing, they all just think it's not their thing. That's sales. Mm -hmm. But when it's about the customer, it belongs to everyone. And that's the change we want. We want to set a strategy that puts the whole company in line to look at the perspective of their customer, of the people who are kind of continue to buy from them and come and buy from them and align ourselves to do that. So that's what I help them do. And once we've got that strategy set, then I'm free to work with all of the people who can make it happen because the CEO is in agreement and we're not fighting an uphill battle to get them in agreement. So that means the budget is there. And that means that all the departments are going to work together and be aligned. They're not fighting amongst themselves or staying in their silos. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows where we're going and we can work together to give the customers an exceptional experience, which they deserve. That's right. I love that. I love that, that sort of vision at the top, right? And it cascades throughout the organization. Um, So let's switch gears a little bit, right? Historically, sales has been really a field where there are many more men than women, especially as you move up the ranks in leadership, right? We tend to see less women leaders, although there's definitely been an increase in sort of a shift over the last several years. Like what advice, you know, do you have for other women who are looking to potentially, you know, break into sales or maybe they're looking to elevate their career in sales and sort of move up that ladder? I love that. And I have a lot to say about that. So you may have to cut me off. This is a topic. No, definitely will not cut you off. uh, You know that it's near and dear to my heart. So I'm just going to go back to the CEO again, because it's still today, most CEOs are men, right? Mm-hmm. The, the influence of those men to support 
bringing women into sales and bringing them up the ranks to leadership is so critically important. So it, it has to start with a culture. I think that sales is a phenomenal career for women. I love it because we're so good at it. Um, <laughs> we understand people. We are problem solvers. We are helpers. And I believe that sales is a helping profession. Mm -hmm. It was so natural for me to come from teaching and where I was helping, helping other teachers, helping students, helping parents, right into sales where I am helping people make decisions that will move their company forward. So whatever it is that you sell, right, you're helping a company when they purchase that to hit their goals, to move forward in the direction they want to move forward in. So women are very good at that. Not that men aren't good at it. They are. And obviously they have dominated the sales world and done well, but women can do that too. Mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage women to go into sales. I want them to know that it's a helping profession, that it's not about manipulation, coercion, <laughs> or trying to force someone into buy something they don't want or need. That's not sales. I don't know what it is, but that's not sales. So we in the B2B world, anyway, the business to business sales world, are really trying to find our ideal customers and help them. And when we do that, we make a sale. And when we do it really well, we make a customer for life. So women are good at that. And so we need to encourage them. And as you know, I do mentor quite a few women in sales and sales leadership and women CEOs as well, because I feel it's so important if we want to bring women in, we have to help them gain entree, right? Mm -hmm. And then have the right access to what they need to meet people, to improve their skills, to feel comfortable, to feel included. And so I mentor to help them do that. And I belong to several organizations that are doing a great job uh, to help lift up women in sales, like the women's sales pros. And I know, you know, Lori Richardson, my good, good friend who runs that organization and all the amazing women there who also help nurture women in sales and help them rise up to sales leadership. Women in revenue is another amazing group that's doing the same. And I could go on and on, but we can put some of those resources <laughs> in the show notes. But um, it is important to help women understand what sales is and bring them in and help them feel comfortable because it's a great profession for all the reasons I said, but also it has such great earning potential. There are so many fields that women can get into that are wonderful, but they cannot earn the same amount that they can in sales. Mm -hmm. And women, many women today, unfortunately, are the sole supporters of their families and they need to be able to earn a very good living. And in sales, they can do that and have some flexibility along with it. So I cannot say enough about how important it is for all of us to help women know what sales is, want to come into sales, help them do it, and then get them the access they need and help them be excellent individual contributors or rise up into sales leadership. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Alice. That was wonderful. I love that. And we definitely will share some of those resources in the show notes as well. I know you're heavily, heavily involved in that. and You're very, very active in the community. So I really appreciate everything that you do. Thank you. Yeah. As I think about the revenue engine and sort of this podcast, I really hope that others will be able to learn, right? How to accelerate revenue growth, how to power that revenue engine. So from your perspective, you know, what are the top maybe two or three things that all executives should be thinking about today to really drive revenue growth? Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind very quickly because I've been dealing with them over the past couple of weeks. Um, I think that as a revenue leader, we have to spend more time understanding what a day in the life of our buyer is like. So things have changed so much in the past, you know, two years And they were changing anyway. We just, you know, COVID sped everything up. People are looking at the world differently. People are viewing their jobs differently. Many people, as we know, are leaving corporate America to start their own thing, right? So things are very different than they were. And of course, you know, the same as well. It's like there's both sides of it. But we have to spend time learning about our customers, their industry, and how what is going on in the world globally is impacting their company and their industry. We have to get ourselves really well-educated on that so we can help our sales teams be well-educated on that. And then they have to understand these decision-makers that are buying, trying to buy something that they need, they're trying to buy it from you or from someone else, they may have never, ever purchased that specific thing before in their entire lives. So this is new to them, right? We think, oh, well, they're buyers, you know, they're decision makers, they know how to buy. No, think about it. If you have never bought a car before, it's your very first time ever going to buy a car. How overwhelming is that experience? Now, most of us listening have had that experience so we can relate to it. Buying a car can be overwhelming. (laughs) It's not, you know, especially the very first time. And then it's not something you do that often. So you need help. The business to business sale, in most cases, especially when it's complex, people have not made that type of purchase before, or they haven't made it for a very long time. Because let's say you, you know, you buy software, you expect that software to last a number of years, you don't just buy it every year. That's right. 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 Or if you're especially hardware or big capital equipment that you use for manufacturing or things like, um, you know, that Caterpillar or John Deere sells huge equipment machinery, you buy that once I know every 10 years or sometimes only once in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So as the leader of sales, you have to understand that we really need to help these buyers. They're overloaded. They're overwhelmed with all the work. We all know that everybody's trying to hire. There's open headcount everywhere. So everyone's doing two people's jobs. And on top of that, they're trying to purchase something from you. Mm-hmm. So understanding what it is like in their mind, in their world, and what they're trying to deal with, and making it as easy as humanly possible for them to buy from you. I think 
gosh, I see so many companies making it so hard for people to buy. It's unbelievable. They're stalling their own sales process because they have all these hurdles that their team has to jump through in order to sell something. And that makes the buyer fatigued and frustrated. So I think one of the very key things we could do is understand what the buyer is going through from their perspective and help guide them through whether they buy from us or somebody else, help guide them through that process of choosing and make it easy for them to make the very best decision for their company, which sometimes won't include you, but they'll remember that and always then be willing to come back to you and refer you. So I think that's one key thing that every sales leader has to do today that I just don't see happening. And the other is we have got to teach people how to sell virtually. Mm. (laughs) And to me, that just sounds so ridiculous. Like, what do you mean you have to teach people how to sell virtually? Haven't we always been selling virtually? The phone is virtual. Email is virtual, right? We've had video for years. It's not a new technology, but I'm telling you, I have talked to so many seasoned salespeople lately who are struggling because they don't really understand how to sell virtually. They've been dependent on trade shows, events, showing up at the customer's door, Mm -hmm. right? Taking them to dinner, playing golf, um, doing other kinds of activities with their buyer. Now, not all, I mean, there's a whole set of salespeople have always sold over the phone. Um, and I think they're doing okay, but they, they could use some help too. So the world has changed And there's some different skill sets that we need right now that our salespeople don't have. Mm -hmm. So sales leaders, take note. Salespeople today need to be great copywriters. Mm. Now, who teaches you copywriting? Unless you went to school for public relations or communications, who taught you how to write copy? No No one. one. It's not something most people are good at. And if you just look in your own email box right this moment, (laughs) how many bad emails are there, Rosalind? I mean, really, how many bad emails do you have in your box? Yeah, more than I want to admit. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Exactly. And, And CEOs out there, let me just say, shame on you for letting your salespeople continue to send out those poorly written emails that are all about you, your company, your products and services that are being deleted by the millions. Okay. Stop it. So salespeople need to learn how to write good copy and, or you better go hire somebody to write it for them. But there's no reason we can't teach salespeople how to write a really solid email that is about the, the people they're selling to and the problem they can solve for them. There's examples all over the internet. There's great companies that will teach you that. Stop pause and teach your salespeople how to write good copy and then provide great content. We can't teach them to also be content writers. That's way too much. Salespeople need to sell, but provide good copy so that they, uh, sorry, provide good content. So the copy they write drives people to that content and gets them interested Mm -hmm 
and wanting to have a conversation with a salesperson. So we have got to teach salespeople how to write good copy, how to write intriguing messages, how to make intriguing videos. <laughs> Hi, you know, you don't know me yet, but I know you can't wait to know me because I have great information for you. I can give you insight. I can give you data, right? So helping them intrigue the customer. We've got to teach them how to do that mm -hmm. by email, using video email, on LinkedIn, by um, resourcing and curating content that they can share that makes people know that they are experts in what they do. And we have got to teach them how to be engaging on video when they're on a video conference because they sit there and they have RBF. <laughs> resting business space. You thought I was going to say the other <laughs> B word, didn't you? My good friend, Julie Hansen, she wrote the book on this and she will um, teach them how to interact on video, look at the camera. So it looks like they're looking straight into the the other person's eyes, use their voice, um, use hand gestures and really connect over video. Salespeople just haven't had to do that. Mm -hmm. So they don't really know how, and they, they haven't practiced doing it, so they're not very good at it. But these are not hard things. Right. They're just things we're not necessarily doing. So sales leaders, CEOs, please give your salespeople these new skills that they need. Practice, practice, practice them. And then they will be able to engage your customers, your current customers, as well as the new customers you want to bring in because they will be interesting and that they have information that will be intriguing and people will want to have conversations with them. And we all know when salespeople have conversations, sales happen. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. That is amazing advice. And I think a lot of folks are, it's going to be a big wake up call, I think, for a lot of leaders just to hear that. So thank you. Um, when you look back, I guess, at your career and some of the things that you've built, are there any things that you wish you knew earlier or maybe that you would do differently if you could go back and do it all over again? I've been asked that question a lot of times. And, you know, looking back over my career, I think that for every woman, I can't speak for men, but <laughs> it's probably the same. It takes time to earn your place. It takes time to gain the knowledge and experience that gives you the confidence. And I think that could have happened quicker for me if I had had more mentors in my life that believed in me and could help me see where I needed to develop. Obviously I have developed and <laughs> I can do the things that I want to do, but there were times in my life when I was younger where I, you know, could have done things better, but I just had no idea and no one was feeding back to me, you know, Oh, you did that this way wasn't as successful as you might've liked it to be. If you try doing it this way, it could be more successful. So just even in communication, my communication skills were good in that I could communicate clearly, but 
the message wasn't always heard because I didn't say it in the nicest way <laughs> or in a way that someone else could hear and, un, you know, and want to take it in. I was just like a bulldog, you know, just bam. Um, nothing against bulldogs. I love all dogs. <laughs> um, but I mean, I was like a bull in a china shop. I was confident and strong willed and I knew what I knew. And unfortunately I didn't know what I didn't know, but, um, I would just go after it. And sometimes I ran people over or I, my personality was too much for some people. And so it was harder for me to get what I needed because of that. Um, and I think also just in anything, you always need to keep learning. And I have always done that. I've always read and listened and watched and kept myself as current as I can. But when you have a mentor or a coach, you can do some of those things better or faster. So, you know, there was a point in my life where I realized, oh my gosh, you can hire somebody to help you learn these things or coach you to do these things. Um, you can get a mentor. You can find someone who's been there, done that, and they will help you. You can join a group like women sales pros or women in revenue, mm -hmm. um, or Vistage or any, you know, any number of groups, right. To do those kinds of things and help you. And once I realized that I could zoom ahead faster. So I guess my advice to others would be, you know, as you start your career, think about who can mentor you and who can coach you. You may not have money to pay a coach when you're early in your career, but there are people who will mentor, mentor you and you have to find them and then ask them. So read up on mentoring and read how to find a mentor, read how to ask a mentor to help you join groups of other people like you and learn together with them. There are some groups that you have to pay to be in, but some are free. And so find these groups and help yourself advance more quickly and also re get a reflection from them. You know, how am I doing? What could I do better? Right. And then that helps you move forward faster. Yeah, that is great advice. That is really, really great advice. And I think I sort of share your sentiment around when I was first starting out in, in my career, there really weren't a lot of women leaders. There weren't a lot of mentors and folks to reach out to. But today, I mean, there's just an abundance of community. There's so many, you know, some of the organizations that you mentioned, there's so many ways to reach out and ask for help. And I think people will be surprised by how, how often when you do reach out for help, the individual on the other side is willing to help, more than willing to help. Absolutely. And I think when I was young, which was a long, long time ago, it was harder to find a mentor yes. or find a group, but today there's no excuse. They're everywhere. And your own alumni association, if you went to college, your own alumni association can help you find some of these groups. That's so right. really help yourself by finding people who have been there and done that, people who are smarter than you that are willing to help. Yes, keep reading books and listening to podcasts and all that good stuff, but find some people in your life that are going to help nurture you and lift you up and help build up your confidence. Yep. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Um, so thank you so much for joining me, Alice. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask two things. So one, what is the one thing about you that others might be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Something, let's see, that no one would know about me. Um, <laughs> I don't know because I post on social media, like everybody knows I love to ski, that I'm a sailor um, and I've been sailing my whole life. Those oh, are things wow. I love. I love to read. 
Um, I think probably what most people don't know about me is how much I love my dog. So I, I love pets and um, I didn't have a dog for a while and I just got a new dog Aww. and he's amazing. And so I, I don't know. I think that's something maybe people aren't starting to know that about me because I've been putting his picture <laughs> on the internet lately. So um, I do really, really love my dog very much. I guess one other thing that people probably wouldn't know about me is that I love to garden oh. and that's a important part of my life to grow some of the food that I eat and oh. to help other people love gardening. And, um, my friend, the flowers that I have in my office, yeah. fresh flowers always every week from my friend who owns a flower farm, which I love to spend time on. So, um, I do love gardening. That's great. That's great. Um, is there one thing that you definitely want to leave everybody with and that they should know about you? Well, I think the people who don't know me should know that I'm always here to help. The people who know me, they know that and they reach out and I'm so happy that they do. If I can't help you, I will point you in the direction of someone who can and it is my pleasure. So I do want to be helpful. That's just so important to me and it always has been. And so I think that everyone should know if you need information about sales and you're not sure where to get it, you can ask me and I'll direct you. Um, if you have uh, hard questions about sales and the direction of your company and what you should do, you should call me because I'll help you. So a lot of people think, oh, she's too busy or, oh, it might cost too much money. It costs nothing to have a 30-minute conversation with me. <laughs> nothing. You could message me on LinkedIn and I'll, I send resources to people on LinkedIn all the time. It costs you nothing. Aww. The only thing I ask is if I help you, someday I hope that you will help someone else in return. Oh, I love that. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me, Alice. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you, learn more about you and about your journey and share a lot of your insights. This is really great advice for folks who are listening and just so incredibly grateful for your time. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It has been just a pleasure. Thank you for letting me talk about all of my favorite things that I like to talk about. <laughs> 